Yo, 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 what's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. It's Cody Gotham's Caped Crusader, and we're keeping it geekly. This is your number one stop for all things geek culture, from comic books to video games and so much more. And man, oh man, do we have some awesome, heavy-hitting news and some fresh polls. But first and foremost, how have you guys been? It's a beautiful Wednesday, guys, and you know what that means. It is New Comic Book Day. So without further hesitation, let's dive right into that geekly news, and let's see what's going on in the geek culture. Then we're going to dive right into those fresh polls straight out the oven. We have PS5 users rejoicing across the world. It looks like Sony finally upped the ante and gave us an update that's not only going to add external storage support for our PS5s, but much more in a huge console update. So it looks like Sony finally gave us the update that we've all been striving for months after release. This new PS5 system update is going to allow you to copy your game straight off your internal SSD to free up space on your system. Since we all know it only comes with one terabyte, that gets used up rather quickly when you have a multitude of games requiring huge updates. I'm looking right at you, Warzone. So with that being said, Sony is still going to require a internal SSD space since you won't be able to download the games directly to an external drive in the same way you can with PS4 titles, but it's going to save you time because instead of having to just re-download the whole shit in Caboodle, you're going to just be able to just go ahead and copy it over. And now touching base on that, Sony did actually come out and say they are looking to give us a larger internal SSD expansion option. Um, the support and the update will be shared in the future. Now, outside of that, it looks like there was a lot of changes made to the PS5 UI as well. We're going to be able to share our gameplay sessions to our friends on the PS4, and there's a lot of support with the PS4, it looks like, as well. Um, you can see right here, you're going to be able to join multiplayer sessions from the PS5 dashboard, regardless if your friends are playing on the PS4 or the PS5. You know, it's always awesome when Sony and Microsoft listens to their consumer base and provides us with an update that is going to help give us a little bit more ease of playing with our system. Micromanaging all these downloads and updates can become a little bit of a hassle and burden. So, you know, I'm definitely going to give this one two thumbs up. Another thing I'm looking to give two thumbs up is Netflix is working on a live Gundam movie, a live action one at that. Yes, you heard that right. Netflix is working on a live action Gundam movie, which is actually going to be produced by Jordan Vock Roberts, who you might remember from Kong Skull Island. Now, this live action movie has been in the pipeline for several years to come and is taking a giant leap. Netflix has acquired all world rights to the film besides Legendary Pictures, which is going to exclusively air it in China. Now, with Roberts behind the helm of directing and producing this movie, we are left with Brian K. Vaughn to not only write the script, but to lead as executive producer. Now, with that being said, there has not been any other leaks of any nature, no story, no plot, or anything to really give you guys. Just know that Netflix is working on another live action adaptation from Sunrise, a property you might all be familiar with, Cowboy Bebop. I'm pretty excited for that. Um, with... With that being said, though, there is another. Now, there isn't any other leaks to give you guys. There's no plot, no story. We do know that Netflix is working on another Sunrise property, Cowboy Bebop, which I am pretty freaking excited for. Another thing that really got me excited, though, this week has been uh, Army of the Dead trailer released by Zack Snyder that is starring none other than Dave Batista. So it looks like Army of the Dead is going to be arriving in select theaters May 14th before hitting Netflix May 21st. 
Uh, I don't want to spoil the trailer too much uh, because I do want to actually give a reaction with you guys live. Uh, but it will start off as a classic heist movie with a very special twist. They're not going up against any sort of security or law enforcement. They're going up against zombies that are way smarter than all the zombies we're kind of used to. And a freaking zombie tiger. So guys, stay tuned. Let's hop right into it. It's so weird to see him, not as Drax. <laughs> How would you like to make $50 million? We already have the tone set for Zombies 2, which was pretty nice. Met up with a gambler. We were both too tired to sleep. So we took turns of staring. Looks like he was prior military, of course, uh, for all these heists. And he began to speak. He said, son, I've made a life out of reading people's faces. Think about it. Everything we did, all those people we saved. The way they held their eyes. Look what it does. You don't mind my saying. Or what if? I can see you're out of base. What if just once? We did something just for us. You ready to play? There's $200 million in the vault beneath the strip. With a 32-hour window to get it out. Find the safe. Mm -hmm. This should be a simple in and out. It's never simple. <laughs> it's not too late to go back. Fucking awesome, dude. I love it. They're not what you think they are. They're smarter. They're faster. They're organized. Yeah, dude, I'm way stoked for this. This is gonna be fucking amazing. <laughs> the zombie Elvis. This is what really sells it right here. It's a goddamn zombie tiger. <laughs> That's crossing the line. <laughs> Army of the Dead, directed by Zack Snyder. Let's go, boys. Man, oh man, Army of the Dead definitely threw me for a loop. I was pretty excited to see Dave Bautista at the helm of it. He's always been an actor I've kind of always been pretty fond of. And this is going to be a movie that it just seems going to be just drenched in action-packed sequences and there's nothing better than a bunch of zombies getting slaughtered. With that being said, guys, that does wrap up this week in Geek. 
But stay tuned, guys. We got some fresh polls coming right out the oven. So the very first issue we're going to bring to you today is going to be Batman the Detective issue number one, written by Tom Taylor, with art being done by Andy Kubert. Now, this six-issue run starts off pretty explosive. We begin with Wayne Airlines Flight 89 en route from Gotham to London. We see the pilot cabin explode as two masked men emerge wearing Batman cowls heading for the exit. But they're stopped none other than by Burl Hutchinson, which is known as the Knight, who's a more prominent hero within the United Kingdom. She subdues one of them, but before she can get to the other, they grab her leg and yank her out of the airplane. Now, on the way down, she's given it her all and pretty much bear hugs him and uses him as a cushion to survive the fall, but not in time for that plane to crash and explode, killing, I think it's around 146 people. And even though the knight survived the fall, she's pretty beaten and battered. We see another Batman figure stroll up on her with a pistol and, for lack of better words, executes her. Or he is led to believe. Now, we then transition back to Bruce at the Batcave, and he's reflecting on all of this, wondering if he's even making a difference. Yes, he does spare some people from death, and that might stop the ripple of pain for their loved ones, but does he even stop crime? No. Is he making a huge difference at all with crime? It's really debatable. With Alfred, the family, and everything else gone, there's nothing really keeping him at the manor as it is. So we see him pack his bags and leave, only to see him reappear in England. We see Batman examining the crime scene as it is with the help of Squire, who is Knight's sidekick. The name of Batman extends even as far as to England, as Squire is pretty knowledgeable about Batman. But things take a turn for the worse as we see Gentleman Ghost, who is another well-known UK villain, appear on the scene. And this is where we get kind of some plot armor. He puts his fist through Batman's chest, but Batman's able to deflect the attack and pretty much beat him down because John Constantine won these special gloves in a poker card game. Um, and Batman just pretty much says, John doesn't like to use his fist, but I do. Which was a pretty, it was a pretty gnarly scene. But again, that plot armor, man, it just doesn't help the look of Batman overall when it comes to us fanboys arguing the good cause. Now this story does amplify when Batman does go to the hospital to visit Burl because she does survive that gunshot to the head. And there is a small army on the way to meet her. And they are all donned in that classic Batman uniform. But it's white. So that's a weird and unique feeling. I don't know what to feel about this. I don't know where to go from this. I am really excited for issue number two, though, to kind of discover who is behind this army of, of Batman in white suits that are just doing despicable acts at hospitals, killing hundreds of people's. Uh, in an airplane explosion. These are terrorists, and I'm wondering who's behind the cause and who is trying to dirty Bruce Wayne's name. Now, while we're on the topic of Batman, that gives me the perfect segue to our next issue, Joker issue number two, with two writers this time, James Tynan IV and Sam Johns, with two artists as well, and forgive me for these pronunciations, Gulliam March and Mirka and Dolfio. This issue starts with chapter four leading us into the card game with Commissioner Gordon questioning just how much the rest of life cost. We see him reflecting on his struggles with not only supporting Barbara and his wife, but their new son on the way. How broke he is and how Flass's offer to kind of just bend the law to get some extra dough into his pocket just seems so lucrative. But then we see him really strengthen that resolve on not doing that, on, on who he really is and why he does what he does. We come to Gordon flashing a weekly made bat signal into the air, 
and it's time for him to kind of have a meeting with Batman and to break things down. We see Bruce eventually come after an hour of waiting, and it was kind of comical seeing the interaction between the two. Gordon, you know, commenting that, hey, man, it took like an hour. What, you know, what was the holdup? And Bruce pretty much saying, yeah, you used to have a signal that would reach the other side of the bay. Uh, I, you know, I thought that that was pretty comical. But then we see that all just stopped dead in his tracks. As Gordon says, he needs to talk about the Joker and it needs to be done inside. And this is when Gordon ties Batman into everything that happened from the last issue. From meeting with Belez, the $25 million pot on the Joker, but he doesn't let Batman know that the Joker needs to die. And Gordon knows all too well that Batman out of all heroes wants that more than anyone, but he would have a, a case to argue that would just be undefeatable and Gordon's not ready to, to convince himself to walk away from this quite yet. Batman knows Jordan wants to capture the Joker. He doesn't know Gordon wants to kill him, though. And we see a nod to the Arkham attack in which hundreds died and how the, the, the wounds of the Joker war isn't quite healed yet. So Batman is all about putting Commissioner Gordon. Gordon has some really heavy requests, though. He needs to know who hires him, first and foremost. Second, though, which takes Batman by surprise is access to the Batcave. That, I mean, Batman was floored by it, but Gordon even goes above and beyond saying you could put parental controls on it. I just need to have access to what you do. Third but not last, he wants Bats' number because he knows a weekly made sign isn't going to get to him in time in case he meets the Joker. He needs something where he can just call him up ASAP to get him there. And this is when Batman makes his own little request. Wants Gordon to promise him when he catches up to the Joker not to capture him or do anything but to get a hold of Batman. And Gordon's pretty much like, yeah, that makes sense. At which point... We didn't know Oracle was listening. So she calls him out and says, yeah, he didn't say he would. He, he just pretty much reflected over that. Um, so this issue builds a lot of the tension up. We don't see a whole lot of action. Chapter five leads us into a really special introductory with Joker meeting a special person of sorts. And then chapter six gives us that meeting with Gordon and Barbara because she wants Gordon to come to the clock tower ASAP. And that's definitely a meeting you guys don't want to miss out on. Oracle, as you know, is Jim's daughter, and she was adversely affected by the Joker. So it's definitely one for the books. And speaking of books, it's time to hit our last one. This is not going to be a DC or Marvel. This is actually going to be an idea and design works called Transformer Beast Wars issue number three. This was written by Eric Burnham with art being done by Josh Burcham. So first and foremost, I would like to preface this. Uh, I'm not very versed in the Beast Wars uh, lore within the comic book. So this is all going to be very new to me. This book had a lot of action and world building within it. So my breakdown of it is going to be a little bit smaller than the other two books. But with that being said, don't let it stray you away. This was an awesome, awesome read. We arrive with the Autobots in a bleak position. Their sensors aren't as functional as Rhinox would like, and he wants everybody to just chill and not do anything until Tarantulas has completed the survey. Unfortunately, it looks like Nyx really doesn't pay too well of attention because while out on flight, it seemed that the Decepticons were up to their own plans, one which involved Pterosaur capturing Nyx. And this leads us to the dark side base with Nyx deep, deep, deep within the torture chamber. Now they're trying to extract all sorts of information, you know, the whereabouts of his team, how many survived, and each and everything they can and Nyx is really, really putting up a fight. And then we see Megatron enter, and that's when things kind of get dark. We find out that Tarantulus is actually on their side, which throws even me for a loop because I was not prepared for that sort of twist this early 
in the story now things lead on to a very very intense battle and like i said there's just a lot of world building a lot of dialogue team building what have you one thing i will make a note of is dinobot is not all that he seems and he does make a very pivotal call later on in the story that turns the tide against him well that does wrap up today's podcast geeks and geekettes i do want to take a moment to say thank you to everyone that tuned in if you're watching this on facebook be sure to give us a like and share if you enjoyed the content the more eyes and ears we get in on this project the more we can start to expand and work on different endeavors. And if you're watching this on YouTube, please feel free to hit that big red subscription button and turn on notifications because we're going to be hitting you with geekly stuff each and every week. Be sure to look me up on Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, YouTube, and so much more at Job for a Cody. And as always, guys, keep it geekly.